I am fantasy author Elle Penelope, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes at an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Friday, March 22nd, 2019, and this is episode six of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. Um, it's spring. There are birds chirping outside the window pretty loudly. Um, not quite as loud as the roosters that live next door who crow all day long. I had no idea that roosters crow all day long until I moved into this house and our neighbors have at least two that I hear and a bunch of chickens. Um, they used to keep bees as well. So when I first moved in, I was pretty nervous. I've never been stung by a bee and I, I don't want to be. And the idea that they kept all of these bees <laughs> was a little unnerving. But um, I haven't seen any bees in the past year, uh, you know, during the summer. So um, my mom always, well, she would ask when we first moved in if we would go and get some eggs and um, see if they give out eggs to people <laughs> or buy them or something. And uh, I don't, I don't really eat eggs at all. Like I'll bake with eggs, I'll eat things with eggs in them, but just the taste of eggs is gross to me. So I never pursued that. I don't, I don't know if they give out eggs. I haven't seen any or heard of that happening. Maybe they use their eggs for their own purposes. But um, yeah, so I know you probably cannot hear that, but, and I don't actually hear the roosters anymore either. They just, they, they blended into the tapestry of the audio sphere of the house, but it's only when people come and visit that uh and they're they're like was that a rooster and i'm like yes suburban maryland we do have roosters oddly enough but um anyway this week's best thing as i predicted last week uh this week's best thing is the ravenel series by lisa clefus i finished the series i read five books in something like three days three and a half days I was, I was binging and there's a reason for that. And we'll talk about that later, but, um, I do read very fast. And since then I've probably read three or four other books total for, so that brings my total to maybe nine for the week, which just pushing it, but, um, good reason. Uh, yeah. So I enjoy the Ravenel series quite a lot. It's historical romance. Um, I don't know if it's Regency. I don't actually know much about like eras, it was like 1875, I think, were the years. It seems kind of modernish. They were all talking about railroads and, you know, um, industrial magnates, you know, building up. And the end of the period of like the peerage, like the lords and ladies being rich and they were starting to lose their money. And so I assume that was towards the decline of that whole system, whatever. But I did enjoy the books quite a lot. Um, so yeah, if you're interested in historical romance and you haven't read the series, highly recommended. Um, so now I'm kind of in historical romance kick after that. I, um, so the other four books that I've read since then, I think have all been historical. I'm not quite ready to leave that into other subgenres. And because I am writing fantasy, uh, I do try not to read in my genre while I'm, especially at this stage in the revision stage of writing, I'm always afraid of like a seepage you know, of ideas, finding the things that I'm reading kind of working themselves into my writing. And I don't know if that actually ever happens, but it is a concern. And so I do, I focus on other genres. So I don't read fantasy when I'm writing fantasy. <laughs> of course, I'm always writing fantasy right now, and I will be for the next year. So that makes it a little bit difficult when it's a genre that I love to read. 
I will read paranormal romance when I'm writing fantasy because it's different enough. And then contemporary, you know, uh, for a while I didn't, I didn't love contemporary romance, but now I do certain ones, like good ones, obviously, <laughs> like good books. But, um, yeah, it's just very like mood based. And when you're in this kick, you know, I'm in this world. I sunk into it. I, I have the rules straight for, you know, Regency England or whatever period it is in my mind. It makes it like a hundred year span, like from Jane Austen, who was writing, I think her books take place in the late 1700s to the late 1800s. You know, that's a vibe. Although I was reading um, a Scottish book, which was actually really good. Never Seduce a Scot by Maya Banks. Very also highly recommended. And I don't think she put a year in that, but. Uh, and I'm not well versed in European history to know what year it could have been, but it felt earlier, you know, definitely. So, um, in writing, I am still working on book three of the Earth Singer Chronicles, Cry of Metal and Bone. I finally finished my fast draft last weekend. And so I'm in the revision stage. <sighs> I was hoping to get through at least four scenes this week, and so far I have gotten through two, because each scene took me two days to complete, unfortunately, and then the first day I actually had to spend going back and looking at the plot again and tightening things up. And so it is an excruciatingly slow pace that I am on currently. And, um, but, you know, that is what it is. And it actually goes into what I wanted to talk about because once again, this week I was on my brief periods of social media. I saw something that someone had posted that really spoke to what I am going through at this moment. And so the author, Robin Lefevers, who is fantastic. I also highly recommend her books. Um, it's the His Fair Assassin series and uh, about this group of female assassins. And it's like a YA book and they're in some like Brittany in like the 1500s, maybe it's, it's really good. Um, so Robin Lefevers, who is kind of giving a masterclass in her Instagram feed, you know, she'll post these, these, uh, these posts about revision and fiction and writing fantasy and just all this great stuff. So this one was on decision fatigue and, uh, which is very, very real. And it's something that I had thought about before and, and heard about before in relation to other things, but especially with writing. So she was talking about all of the decisions that we have to make as writers, especially fantasy writers, but all writers, really. But in fantasy, when you're creating a world from scratch, I mean, it's just, it's so much. So she says that um, there's nothing more frustrating to me than being in the flow, zooming along, and then running smack into a series of choices and decisions I need to make before I can keep going. And... uh that is exactly what was happening to me. I was why it was taking two days to write each scene because, you know, my fast draft is written very quickly. I can write, um, I can write like 2000 words in a half an hour when I'm just fast drafting. And so that won't have sensory details. It won't have setting. It won't have descriptions of people. It's just, I try to get the emotional core and then the events that happen to take me, you know, my cause and effect the chain of cause and effect that leads from the beginning to the end of the story. And so now in the revision state, I have to go in and fill in all these details, not just deciding, you know, what the rooms look like and what the furniture they're sitting on and the position, but um, like history. You know, the scene I was writing yesterday, 
Um, so they were talking, there was a conversation happening about the origin of the secret society. And so in the fast draft, I knew there was a secret society. I knew they were, what they were doing right now. But I had, and then given cursory thought to their history, how they came about, but um, I had to stop the writing and pause. And whereas, you know, in the fast draft, I would just put like some, some X's in the text and know that I have to go back later. It's later now, so I have to figure it out. So in that instance, I, I have a document in my story Bible, which the story Bible is uh, a, a Scrivener file, and Scrivener is the, the software that I use to write my novels in. So I have a separate file that has character bios, like all my characters, all my locations. Um, there's like groups and factions. There's the history of all the worlds, which is what I was looking at. That's where I have the languages. All the names are stored there. So it's just the repository for all of the information about the world and the world building across the series. So I had to go back to the history of Elsira, the country, and then, you know, look and see, do I have anything? Is there a point in this history where I can, you know, where would the, the origin of the secret society fit? And then I had to create an origin story, figure out who started it, why, what they were doing in the past, who knows about what they were doing since it's secret, how they know about it. And all of these things aren't going to be on the page in this conversation. It's just, oh, there was a secret society and they started, and I heard they started here. And, you know, you have to pick out, you know, only as much as the reader needs to understand what they need to know right then. And then, um, you know, figure out if there's more detail that that have to go in later. But I had to know them and I had to figure it out and I had to decide. And um, so it's just... (laughs) Robin the Fevers calls it having, having to play 3D chess with myself as I try to figure out the implications of each, of each decision. And that is so true because I'm in book three now. And so some of it is looking at the history and some of it is looking at previous books and, pre- and finding a scene where this character was talking about this thing and making sure I'm not contradicting that and making sure that it matches. And it's exhausting and it takes a long time. And so... Um, Scheduling a book three is different than scheduling a book one. And it's on also in the series, books one and two are parallel stories. So I didn't have this problem with book two because I didn't really have to go back to anything. Um, I was looking, you know, the, the time, I was looking at the timeline. The biggest thing with book two with um, Whispers of Shadow and Flame is the period of time that it takes place and what's happening, you know, keeping track of the calendar. So my calendar was very important. And because I did, you know, there is crossover. There is, um, so Dog of Blood and Stone, we have, we start with the main character, Jack, and he's just finished this. Uh, he's coming back into his country after having, you know, been a spy in, this, in Lagrimar, in this other country. So book two takes place in Lagrimar and happens, uh, it actually starts before the events of Song of Blood and Stone and runs concurrently with it. And so there's part there's parts in time where I had to there's points in time where I had to know, okay, when did Jack get back in book one? Where is he now? And things like that. But other than that, it wasn't like what I'm doing now in book three when these two books, these two storylines kind of converge and all the characters converge and conversations from book one, you know, matter in this and and what was said and there are times when I'm going to contradict it on purpose, but it has to be on purpose. And so, um, yeah, this decision fatigue, it's just like every step of the way I have to decide, and that takes a lot of mental energy. And so what Robin Lefevers was saying in her post, which is what I also find myself doing, is that, you know, she was saying that she 
she wears the same clothes every day at a certain part in her writing schedule when she's deep in this decision-making process and she eats the same thing every day. So she, she reduces the number of other decisions she has to make to free up mental space and energy to make these decisions in her creative world. And that is, I mean, it's really powerful and, and I've done that and it actually helps. Um, I was doing meal prep for a while in terms of like with exercise and trying to make sure I get, you know, eat the macros and stuff. So I would on Sundays cook a bunch of chicken breast and salmon fillets and then make some rice or mashed potatoes and then like a green vegetable and actually bought on Amazon these containers, like bento boxes, they're like divided containers. So I cook all the food, I would divide it out so that, so that during the week, all I would have to do is take a container out of the refrigerator and put it in the microwave and then I would eat. I didn't have to decide what I was eating that day. I didn't even, I didn't even have to decide on the portions. It was just already done. It was fast and it saved me from having to think about it at all. Um, so that is what I need to be doing right now, really. And it just requires planning and setup and, you know, making sure I have the groceries and then taking the time on a specific day. What I do, to, what I do currently is eat the same thing for breakfast every morning. Every morning I eat still cut oats. Once a week I make seven servings of still cut oats and I put them in the containers, little Tupperware, and then I just pull it out. And so I have still cut oats and some fruit and sometimes some protein. Um, if there's like a leftover chicken or whatever I've eaten. Uh, and that makes breakfast time super easy. So that is one part of the plan for productivity that really works. And so if I can, if I can get that working for lunch and dinner, um, it would be great. When I discovered that, uh, Grubhub and DoorDash go to my house a few months ago, that was great too, because stopping in the middle of the day to cook or even to warm up something or to figure out what to eat and defrost stuff, like, if I don't pre-plan, then I have to make all of these choices. And even if I'm ordering something that delivers, I have to choose a restaurant and then choose a meal. And it doesn't sound like a lot. And it's not a lot, but it's just more decisions. And I think that you probably have a quota of decisions you can make every day. Because by the end of the day, after I've written for several hours and then done even more hours of website stuff and coding and troubleshooting and doing technical things, my brain is fried. It gets, you know, I feel like I, I just need to go and sit in a quiet room for a, a period of time and have no one talk to me and not talk to anybody else. And that is why I've been binge reading so much. Um, because yeah, I can, I can, you know, either watch something on TV, but reading is a lot more satisfying in many ways. And sometimes, there are times when I don't feel like reading. It's it's very rare, but and that's when I go and binge watch something usually. Um, the other thing that I was thinking about in terms of decision fatigue and this binge reading that I've been doing is that high output requires high input. So I'm in this you know very intense writing period where I'm just I feel my brain working and um, I have to stay on top of so many things. And then work has been very, very intense this week. It's been a, I've had a rush project to do, which has taken a lot of <laughs> all the rest of my mental energy. And so my output is just very high right now. And I think that for my balance, I need a lot of input. So that's why, and, and because I read so fast, it's just 
binging books one after another. I stop one. I can go through a whole series. When I end the series, it's like, okay, what do I do now? Does this author have something else that sounds cool? Or do I look at one of the many unread books on my Kindle that I've either downloaded the sample or actually bought the book and haven't read it yet? And that choice is very emotionally based. Like right now, I told you I was in, I am currently in a uh, historical romance period. So there's a lot of other things on my Kindle that need to be read, but I'm still vibing off historicals. And so that input, filling the well is also what it's called. It it not only provides balance and calms me down um, and kind of resets me, but it is inspiration. You know, I mean, as writers, we need to be reading. And, you know, a lot of people are like, I don't have time to read. And for me, it's not an option because if I don't read consistently, I will get stuck or I will get burnt out or I will just start feeling empty. And that need to, that input need is, um, becomes really high. And so I listen to it, you know, part of my job. And I try to tell people this, I'm not just reading for pleasure. Like I am reading for pleasure, but part of my job as, a, as an author is to be a reader also to, to know what's out there. Um, like part of it's market driven. Like you have to know what's being written and what, and what pe- what's popular and especially with self-publishing. But the other part is is just as a creative person, I, I just I need to I need to feed my creativity, and so that is the other part of the serious binge session <laughs> that I've been that I've been doing. And this book, in you know, it's book three, Cry of Metal and Bone, is is hitting me hard. And the fact that so much of it is written, it's just this extra storyline that I'm putting in which is also difficult weaving it in, you know, like there's, there's a lot of points of difficulty of this process that I'm currently engaged in right now, uh, that I will be glad when it's done and, and I can focus on book four. So book four, although is, is scary. It's like, it's looming in the near future. I'll be starting it in, in May. And, um, the story of, of the series quickly for those who don't know is that, I self-published the first two books, Song of Blood and Stone and Whispers of Shadow and Flame, in 2015. And in 2016, I was ready to self-publish this book three, what I'm currently working on, um, the self-published version. And literally the day that I sent it, the manuscript for book three to the copy editor, was the day I got the call from my editor about her wanting to republish the series. So book three has been a version of it has been done for three years. And, um, and then once I signed the contract with St. Martin's Press and I did a heavy, heavy revision of the first two books, um, for the, the heart, well, okay, I did a heavy revision of Song of Blood and Stone for the hardcover, like changed 60, 70% of it, even though the story stayed the same. I did a big revision for book two. Then I, we did this special edition for book one. Um, for a song of blood and stone. And I added like 40,000 new words, a whole new storyline. It's the special edition, which comes out in July is, uh, most 99.9% of all the original stuff is the same. I just had to add a few little things to connect the new storyline into the main previous book. And then I had to go back into book two and add a new storyline. And so now book three gets a new storyline. And, um, so there's stuff that I, you know, I'm mixing stuff in with stuff I wrote many years ago. <laughs> Three years ago is many years ago to me. And it is on top of all the other writing things. 
it, it, it is taxing. And um, so, yeah, I just, I do feel a bit spent every day and, and, and caring for myself and managing my stress is at the forefront of my mind because I don't want to get sick again. I have, I think all of these, like I all these little colds and then even the flu is partially because of stress. Like I normally don't get sick. I'm fairly hardy <laughs> as a person. Um, but I do know that this anxiety has been changing things for me. And so, yeah, so the ongoing work of, of managing stress levels and because I do, I do love this. I do love writing and I, and, and writing to a deadline works for me. Like I, I, I love deadlines, you know, I, sometimes I love to have them be a little longer, but, um, the push, like I can do this. I know I can do this. Um, and proving to myself that I can do it each time that I prove to myself I can do it. It helps to stave off that imposter syndrome that we all have. I mean, every writer, I think every body who does something, there's that thing going around like Neil Gaiman talking to Neil Armstrong, astronaut Neil Armstrong. And um, if I can find it, I'll put it in the show notes with everything else. Because it was basically just like, you know, Armstrong had imposter syndrome. He was at some party with all these like, you know, celebrities and he didn't feel like he belonged. And like, dude, you went to the moon, like you belong anywhere you want to be. Uh, so even, you know, everybody feels it. And so, and, and, and each book is different and presents a new challenge and you're kind of starting from scratch. And before I ever wrote a book, an author told me that, um, I think it was Marjorie Liu, who I took a workshop with at Vona. And she was like, yeah, each book is a new challenge and you don't know how you did the last one and you're not sure you can do it again. And then it was kind of depressing at that time. Like Marjorie Liu at that point, this was five, six years ago, had written Dozens of books, you know, uh, in a short period of time. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. It was depressing, but it was also very helpful because it, it let me know what to expect and that um, everybody goes through it. So every time I prove to myself that I can do it, every time I meet the challenge, I, I feel wonderful. <laughs> and then I start all over again, knowing that I'm going to feel terrible and eventually come out the other side victorious and... Um, and then do it all again and again and again. And that's that's the point. That's the journey. That's what we signed up for. So that's all I have for this week. Um, I hope you guys have a wonderful week and I will talk to you soon. Happy reading. For episode show notes and to learn more about me and my books, go to lpenelope.com. Subscribe to My Imaginary Friends wherever you get your podcasts and check out the video episodes on YouTube. Please leave a rating and review to help support the show. 